Welcome back to Kafaro Cast, everyone. It is bright and early on a Wednesday a.m. Frank and I are getting ready to head down to uh, Alabama uh, for a whitetail hunt. Uh, so to get Frank prepped for the uh, the compound archery journey, we have brought in the great Phil Mendoza of No Limits Archery. Phil and I have been longtime friends. Uh, Phil's a uh, trained to hunt champion. You run alpha bow hunting, own No Limits. Killed a ton of stuff, uh, and an all-around great guy. He's uh, the bow hunting cholo. And, yeah, and the bow hunting cholo. Legend. Legendary. <laughs> so to keep Frank from shooting anything in the ass, we've brought in Phil. So thanks for coming in, Phil. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate the intro and the welcome. I don't know that I can keep Frank from shooting in the ass, but, but we're going to try. you got to have a signature shot. <laughs> <laughs> are you a serial killer, man? What are you, ta- yeah. what are you talking about? You got to go for that femoral, man. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, the last time, uh, uh, I'm not sure what we were talking about, but uh, he had he said something about uh, at least you can only get syphilis once. I don't know where that came out. <laughs> That's of That's like my trademark term now. <laughs> yeah. People at the at the show were like, "Dude, you can only get syphilis once." I'm like, "Don't live by that by that <laughs> advice." I trust that. Well, I uh, I was. Uh, so I'm I'm finding out just getting feedback from from users since we're such a tight knit uh, unit <laughs> that there's a lot of inside jokes and so it seems can seem clickish on this podcast because uh, whether it be from uh, past friends we've had that um, have irritated us and will start to tell a side joke and then we'll stop or my hatred for a couple companies or some inside joke that Frank has with a cougar. Then people, but people don't listen, right? Or the people don't understand that are listening. So I'm going to do a better job. John Pinch mentioned this to me from one of his friends last night that I we have to explain ourselves, which will probably get us in deep trouble. So since who knows what will happen on this one, Phil and I have <laughs> many experiences in life and archery that uh, there may be some side jokes on this one. We'll try to explain if that pops up. But uh, some you might not want to explain. Well, that's what I told John. I'm like, dude, you know the – like John goes, I know you, so I know exactly what you were talking about. And I'm like, do, well, you, do you really f- think you want me to explain that story? So anyway, but so, Phil, you got a lot going on. Uh, and I don't think um, – you know, some, well, some people know to live around here, but you own or – does your dad own that or do you? Is it a family thing? I'm part owner. It's a it's a family business that we own. We do demo and excavating, and that's kind of the nine to five, if you will, right? But the the archery shop started. We opened in 2009, and I still maintain the full time gig with my dad. As it's it's been a <clears throat> a family thing. I mean, I've I've grown up in that business, and and since the archery shop's grown, it's it's definitely been a challenge because that whole work life balance stuff doesn't exist. Oh, I remember. Um... Well, on the sheep hunt specifically, I think your wife was giving you the business. <laughs> you were way behind in work. and uh, We're struggling to get the shop open, the new shop open. Yeah, you were having problems with stupid permits, weren't yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, it was – I, I called you and I said I might turn this tag in and, and use it. Don't do it. We're going hunting and, and we're going to be fine. And and, and uh, it worked out great. It was still probably one of my most memorable hunts I've been on. But, yes, I, I was – I was banging my head against the wall daily. Yeah, no, I yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, trying to do all of that at one time. Which you keep throwing rocks in the rucksack. You uh, you've got all kind. You've got a lot of informational stuff coming out now, which is huge for me because then I don't have to answer that shit. I can send them to you. 
for technical archery, uh, bow hunting, and you know, you and I have done some seminars with other people, but you're getting it up basically like a Bible or a uh, a full on A to Z section on YouTube or videos or on your site or you know where people can. You know, Dana's a great example. You know, yeah. she's going to all of them so she can learn everything from tuning the bow, serving or, or whatever. So how's that going? Is it taking off? No, it's going really well. We've So last year we dabbled with some bow tuning seminars in the shop. And it was kind of introductory and then taking it into the, the applicational portion where you're learning some knots, learning some how, how stuff works in the press. And we sold out a couple seminars, and I just you – know, too many things going on, kind of let it let it go. So this year we decided to make it a, a priority, and we've been – it's going into our third month. Are we offering kind of like a bow hunting 1.0, 2.0, Introductory, obviously, the 1.0. 2.0 is getting more into shot routine, understanding anchor points. 3.0 is using a hinge or a tension release, understanding where your shot should fire from from a consistency standpoint. And then uh, – and then getting into the tuning. The tuning is something that it's it's always a double-edged sword because you can it is sometimes it's the simplest resolution that takes care of the problem and people want to just complicate it by, you know, like engineers. They want to yeah, well they want to it's exactly right when you if you you know when when people have problems a lot of times I just say go back to square one because you probably just missed a step or you overlooked something in the process and it sometimes is that simple. Other times it's not, but I just wanted to give somebody an overview from the introductory standpoint. And then the <clears throat> like you know, man, I mean there's there's times where I get emails and Instagram messages during the day and and from the side from it's not that we can't we don't want to respond to everybody, we do, but it's something that if I can put the the content out in a video series or an online course to where it's easier to direct you to that, then um it, it saves a lot of time. I I mean I can say firsthand from Frank and I when we kicked this off, I didn't know what we were biting off totally even come from helping out with, with Brian on gritty. Um, I, this morning I had like, it's off the top of my head, like 16 elk hunting, you know, backpack hunting, where to go, what to do, probably 30 technical archery. And now that I've picked up the stick bow again, another 20 of shit, I don't even know how to reply to. Cause I just, I'm not exactly a technical expert when it comes to trad archery. And if you can just, push them somewhere, they're going to learn a lot more too, where they're going to get a blank, quick answer because I just don't have the time for, for, for me. And they're not going to know, they may, they might fix it, but they're not going to know why yeah. they're just going to I'm bump your rest to the right, but they won't understand what, why that fixed it. No. And that's where, when I started looking at, uh, and, and just to, just to clarify and, and, 95% of what we do and what we're teaching is compound. I mean, you, you look at guys like Tom and, and the Clums, and they do a great job on the traditional side. And and I would just assume, say, look, we specialize in this category, and, and this is where we're going to focus our information on. And But backing up a little bit, you know, I, I wrote that short booklet a year ago, and I interviewed on that. I featured, you know, you in the booklet talking about buck fever and target panic. And I started just thinking about where – what, what some of the biggest issues with hunting is, and, and a lot of times people are like, oh, it's it's the broadhead selection or it's the arrow combination. It's like, no, it's not that. It's the structure that you're lacking from day one that, that you don't know when you should shoot or when you shouldn't shoot, when, you know, how to determine what your effective range really is, how to break it into clusters to where 
it's simple to the point where you, when you walk in the field, you've got a plan. Your confidence is high because you know what your capabilities are allowing you to do. And that's where this, this we've got a full-day workshop. The online courses are really geared towards that because once you have your system solid based off whatever your current capabilities are, then when you start adding in a new rest or you start adding in a new site, well, because you have your system so well-refined, you can start to see the impact from, oh, that did make a difference or it didn't make a difference. Because, and I, and, and I tell people in addition to that, if you, if you don't know what hitting behind your pin is, if you don't know what that means, you're not going to know if a site or a rest arrow combination is, is beneficial to you because you don't even know what, your, what the end goal should feel or look like. And you know that. I mean, well, that's for me, the the compound sign side, I more or less got her licked, right? I got yeah. But going with the trad side, it's all new. And I've got to go through the same shit you're teaching people. But on the trad side of things, which really opens my eyes back up to where I started with the compound, where there's certain things I, I didn't understand. I didn't know. I didn't. There's just so many variables and you're hungry. At the, you know, you want to go learn and everything where with the compound I've gotten fucking lazy is what I've gotten. You know, I can shoot. Well, you're in the same boat. Shoot it once every six months. You, there is a point you get to to where you kind of got her figured out. Most people aren't like that. Like, well, Frank, you, you can shoot well enough, but I'd say tuning is one thing you're learning. Yeah. Serving bows, um, you know, different tricks like hack, gear hacks of how yeah. to hook up a drop away arrow rest and things that you do a million times a day. And I think that it's, it's pretty vital for people to watch what you're doing because it's things they'll never – you're not going to learn that on your own very easy. And there's going to be a lot of trial and error. You can shorten that learning curve down quite a bit. And the repetition, like you said, because and, – and honestly, just in full disclosure again, running the two businesses, I don't spend as much time behind the counter at the archery shop as, as I would like because I like interacting with the customers. But from a business and growth and expansion and, and the, the inventory and the marketing and everything, that's where – and the coaching now is where I'm kind of pushing more of my time. But – Still, doing these tuning classes, I like doing them myself, working with the customers because it, it puts it all in perspective again as to <clears throat> somebody who's learn, learning it for the first time and watching them tie a D-loop for the first time and their knots look like crap, right? I mean, it's just – this is what it is. But after you do that a couple hundred times, yeah, it looks like it's a refined product. You know what you're doing. You get it done quickly, efficiently, and that's just what it, people need to keep in perspective because you you've done it once doesn't mean you're an expert. You need to you need to be able to practice at it and still get better at it. Well, and I think everything can kind of whether it's uh, compound traditional photography, fly fishing, whatever. Your glass is so much harder to fill in the beginning as it is in the end. Or you you know your first backpack hunters probably got ninety pounds of shit they don't need, right? right? Well, same thing like a bow repair kit or how to fix it or whatever where. My bow repair kit consists of like a couple feet of D-loop or a foot of D-loop and a little bit of serving and it's some super glue. Right. I can get her done with about that where I know guys pack bow presses in the field and, she, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, no, hard no. Uh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, same thing with a medical kit, you know, very small amount of stuff. And that just comes from experience. Right. And that's one thing you've got that obviously you're passing on to people. And I, there's other things, too, that sometimes shit happens that even people like you or I or other you don't know, right? Oh, yeah. But you have a, a base large enough to where with some troubleshooting, you can figure it out. Um, and I think, like, again, the, the classes like you're offering get people a hell of a lot more towards uh, a base where they can do just about anything eventually. Hell, I know how to tune my bow, and I still have Jason and Bo do it because I'm lazy. But they also see things 
I'm working on one bow one time, my own bow. But those guys, they're working on, you know, whether like say a prime, they've worked on 75 primes in the last couple months. I've worked on the one for the most part, it stayed tuned. And so when it comes out of tune, I know how to tune it. You know, I can figure it out, but those guys can do it. Yeah. 90% quicker because they've done it so many times. Right. And that's where a lot of people are. So, and, and some people, because you look at what old school archery and pro shops and that mentality is. And they're, and I know some are looking at me out of the corner of their eye like, what the hell is this guy doing teaching people what we do behind the counter? Right. And it's like, look, man, this is a different day and age of information. And just because, like, like I said, just because we show them how to do it once, they're still going to have questions because they're going to have to duplicate that multiple times. But at the end of the day, like you said, if we can get you to a place where you get out into the field and something does happen and you can, I mean, MacGyver it, whatever you need to do to, to stay in the field, man, that's what's important. You can always bring it back and we can sit down and monkey with it later. Yeah. But it's, it's happened. I mean, <clears throat> we've, we've had to sit and figure out how to press bows without a bow press, pushing it down on your foot or, I mean, getting Western with it with so many different ways. <laughs> but it's, and it's, it's interesting. But like I said, and, and you, once you have a, a a grasp of what the system is, um, you know you're comfortable taking a sidestep when when you get a curveball thrown at you. Yeah, and I mean, I think yeah, it's funny. I got a question right here. It's a good example of a guy. Uh, it just happenstance. We're talking, Aaron. You've mentioned that you can press a bow to move the peep sight and do certain things with a stick. How do you do that? That's a good example. The first time I saw that, I was like leaning back like shit's gonna blow and it was jim miller in washington my peep was crooked he took an arrow i drew my bow back a little bit jammed his arrow through my cam and the limb took the string off twisted a little bit and that was like in 2002 or something and i was like i'm gonna remember that and so i always have a carbon dowel in my truck for that now i'm not specifically i'm not gonna bashing on matthews but back in the day they i think they fixed it but they had pretty thin cams you didn't want to do that back in the day on certain cam systems but even that like you talk about wit and western with it you can grab a stick draw your bow back or press your cable down or draw your bow back depending upon the placements of the braces on the cam and pull your string off or or your cable if needed to if your if your cord comes through your cable if your peep needs to be turned or whatever you can do that in the field it's a little twitchy at first i mean it's not something you're going to feel comfortable with but i mean you've done that before oh, yeah. haven't you and the first time i saw it done too it was <clears throat> i don't know maybe 2003 and i saw um guy at the pro shop same thing it's like needed to put a half a twist in the cable for, for we we're doing some tuning and he literally creep, crept back on it dropped a screwdriver in it <laughs> and and stopped, twisted the, the the cable, you know, pulled it back a little bit of string again and pulled it right out. And I, I looked at him and I was like, what in the hell did I just watch? What did I just see? You know, I, I didn't grasp it. I couldn't comprehend it. But, um, but yeah, that, that little stuff. And like you said, that stuff that maybe isn't critical because I th- what I'm, you know, what I'm seeing a lot and what I see a lot, and it's, it sounds bad because I'm in the sales industry within archery. And it's, it's, it's about the bottom line at the end of the day to keep the doors open. But at the same time, when, when somebody comes in the door, sometimes I'm my own worst salesman because, hey, man, you know, I'm really looking at this. What, a, you know, what do you think? And I'll just tell them straight out sometimes, you know what, man? I mean, how, how is your group size? How is your accuracy? How is your practice routine? How, do, you, do you need this new site? Maybe you just need to practice more, you know? Maybe, maybe you just need a little bit more uh, consistency with what you're delivering so that way you can see. You got to get rid of the loft. <laughs> 
<laughs> and for everybody that doesn't know what LOFT is, it's a side joke. It's an acronym, lack of freaking talent. So that's what LOFT <clears throat> is for those that didn't get the joke. Yeah, I know. But it's – it's uh. It, it is what it is. And, and it, like I said, modern day technology and evolution of everything, you know, fast moving. Um, we're just trying to stay on top of it and give give customers the opportunity to to learn something at, you know, at home at midnight if they're lack of sleep. Right. Turn on the computer. Yeah. And I mean, Dana was a good example. She's like, I think I'm going to go to those classes. What do you think? And I'm like, I don't have time to teach you. I barely have time to teach Frank and he lives with me. I mean, and not only that, I'm not the best teacher because I take certain things for granted and I get, I wouldn't say irritated, but I don't know, Frank, you got to deal with me every day. When you have a question, <laughs> half the time I'm generally like, sometimes I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't know how to do that? Which is, is not the right, correct answer. Right. And then the other times I'm like, you know, like, I'm, it, I think, I think I'm patient. I don't know. Am I patient sometimes? You're not going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you help when, uh, when you can see that I need help and then you let me learn things on my own. Yeah. Other times. And I tried to do that with Brian, too, for for example, uh, Brian with Grady, where I didn't want to feed him with a fire hose because there was so much for him to take in because, you know, he'll tell you he just kind of grabbed a bow and shot. And and so there was such a a large amount for him to take in that I didn't want to just cram it. And so as he needed it, I would kind of, you know, fill him in with Well, you take a guy like Joel Turner's a fire hose guy. I I haven't I can't say that for a fact because I haven't used his I- IQ, what is it, shot IQ? Iron Mind. Iron Mind. I haven't needed the Iron Mind side of it. Some people do, but I think sometimes people do get a little overwhelmed with that. I think and I think he's braced it down a little bit. Um, but but Joel, for example, is a guy who wants to teach so many people. He's not a mechanics guy. He's a brain guy. He's a brain doctor. Um, so many things that the way my pea brain works, I'd be so fucked up by the time we were done. I'd probably be worse than when we started. But other people, he's been a huge help for. Uh, with target panic. And uh, I've only had it once, right? And I think Matt Davis said it the best. It's like Voldemort. Don't say its name, right? I've seen a lot of people get target panic because they learn what it is and then they just go batshit crazy. Some people, you just, like me, you just got it, didn't you? It just popped up. Yeah. And and it's not, it's like a common cold. You don't really know when you're going to get it, but man, when you get it, it just starts, hmm, I got a little bit of sore throat. And it's like, oh, I'm getting a little twitchy. What's going on here? And then it's like, man, I couldn't get my pin on the target or, oh, I got a little bit of sinus congestion and pretty soon you're fucked. Like totally. And for me, I couldn't get my pin on the target. And then, you know, I look like I was having some type of seizure and this all happened. Well, I think I had won the state field championship the weekend before. And then the next week end, I shot in the state team shoot and I couldn't hit anything. And it happened that fast. And, and, you were talking about it. You were firing arrows off in the buckwheat too, right? Um, yeah. When I when I got it at my worst, because I actually I think that I never got rid of it, but I just fluctuated. It was like a roller coaster. Sometimes it hit me worse than others. But when I was at my worst, I was indoor shooting uh, shooting indoor league paper league, and I was going. Oh, I'm going to check try a different release because it's got to be the release, right? It's not the between the ears. It's it's the release, and. Man, I tell you what, I I went to a thumb button and we were shooting our practice ends for for spot league one night at Tanglewood. I drew my bow back and I put an arrow up in the lights almost. Right? 
that was that wasn't accidental. That was that my hand commanded that trigger to go, and that arrow was gone, and it hit that wood up on top, four six feet above the target. And did that, you act like your D loop broke or oh, something? I said, "What happened?" You you look at the release, right? You're like, "What happened to this release?" The release just fired. It yeah. just fired. No bull crap. It was me. You know. <laughs> well, have you ever heard Bill Burr talk about uh, plastic surgery? And he's like, you know, you still look like you're sixty. You're just a different version. Uh, that's a lot like for me going from a trigger with target panic to a thumb button. You're still got target panic. It's just a different version. You're only now you have it with a thumb instead of an index finger. Nothing really. And, and that's one thing I've tried to explain to guys. They're like, I'm getting a little target panic with the index finger release. I'm going to switch to a thumb button. I'm like, so you can break the barrel off with your thumb. That ain't from my opinion or my from what I've seen, that ain't going to fix it. Just switching to a thumb button, your brain's still in the equation. You got to get your brain out of it. And so for for me, I was smart about it. I took time off. Then I took the side off. I went and saw a coach and I built it back up. And I'm not going to say I'm impervious to it now, but I know when it's one of the reasons I don't shoot pop-up 3Ds anymore very often it's a good way to get target printing. Yeah. Um, it, one of the reasons why um, with the trad bone, when I just start flinging arrows like the movie 300, uh, I'm going to shoot probably five yards a lot the next day and really focus because you, you're ingraining bad shit in your mind. And I've seen people have it so bad that literally as they're coming up on the target, the one guy, there was a white paper cup and his, as he was coming up on the target, he saw that cup. And he let her rip, tater chip, six feet below the target at an 80-yard walk-up because he saw that spot. That's how much your mind can control the shot. And uh, it's a hell of a lot worse than I think. Some people just punch the trigger, don't have target panic. Like, it was, that's how they learned. Other people, they know what they're doing and they're, I mean, what did I used to say? R- ripping the trigger like a rookie beating off because they're just <laughs> hammering that thing. This is an explicit podcast, so I can get away with that. Um did oh, yeah. shooting the did shooting the hinge help at all? It, that's what fixed me, and same with you, right? Yeah, and and it, the hinge really helped me for a lot. And then I actually played with the tension release for a while, and and it it kind of from a training place. And and I've I've talked about. I mean, there's a seminar that I just put up online that I did at ISC, and and I I show people the draw force curve. I show them what the valley looks like, and I show them where they should be the release should be firing from. Because if you don't understand that. And you don't understand, you need to keep your, you know, people say back tension. Well, you should be shooting a shot with back tension regardless of the release. You should have tension in your back, muscles engaged, or, your, you know, your strong back, low shoulders, and, and the whole nine yards. And understanding where you should be firing from within the draw cycle or the, the draw force curve will give you consistency. And that's what a tension release does is it makes sure you're going to fire from the exact same place in the draw force curve every time. Once you learn that or you learn at least you can – you know, connect the dots, then understanding how a hinge fires, as long as you're functioning it properly, it's just, it can deliver the same results. And like Aaron, I, I learned on a hinge too, and, or I got better on a hinge is, is how I overcame it really. But I think it, for, for most shooters, attention is easier to grasp first. Yeah. No, I would say the, we didn't have them back then was the problem. I probably would have went to attention and stayed on it. Uh, meaning something like the, was it Silverback from Dudley? The was it Evolution, the Evolution from Carter? Yeah, that's the one that I played with years and, ago. And I, yeah, there, it was red. I remember. I might have got it from you. Um, I went out and I'm like, it's not doing anything different than what I'm doing already with right. attention. Now, the one thing I had trouble at first was I was I didn't have a clicker. Was, this is back in the Stanislavski days, so this is 
Stanislavski or, or whatever back then was just a hinge release. That's all they did. And they were ugly as shit with hard edges. They were not clean, uh, but they're the only game in town. Then Carter had a Colby. I think they came at Carter had some too, but it was just a rotation, right? Just, and I'm watching Randy Ulmer set up five and shoot them all. I'm like, all right, well, Randy says it's got to yeah. be right. <laughs> so I had a, a little. I can't even say that word anymore on the podcast. I had a little bag that held all the different pouches (laughs) and a little Teletubby bag. And uh, I'd grab a different one every time. One wouldn't go off uh, at all. And, uh, you know, so I'm doing this and people are seeing I'm shooting really well. So when you have target panic and you grab one of those, you'll just let the release go. So... I don't know how many chinked out risers from my, like this fixed me, you know, right? Like I wasn't smart enough to know how to coach at the time. I just knew this was it. And it was like when something bad happens in somebody's life and they find God, they want to tell everybody about the Bible. They're going to go, Hey, how you doing? I found the Lord. And they're going to talk about it. Okay. That was me with a hinge. This worked well. Then I'd hand it to people that shouldn't have had it at that time. You want to, what does Cody call arrows to Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Arrows to Jesus everywhere. In fact, I punched myself so much at Bear Creek Lake, and there's probably, I probably shot three bikers trying to figure this thing out with arrows just going off because I went and uh, Tony Clem, he was shot a two finger, you know, way out on his finger, and his form was a little bit different. And he's like, you got to have it hot almost. And he was right to make it perform correctly, in my opinion, if you've got to rotate it a half mile. It's too far. There's no back tension in there. You are ju- you may be keeping tension on the bow, but and it may help you, but it's not totally correct. His is so hot, he draws it back with one finger, anchors, and just with a little bit of tension, it's going. The problem with that is, is you're going to beat the shit out of yourself until, because you're if you do it right away, because there's too much movement, you're not comfortable, you're going to punch yourself on the draw, up and downhill, Anyway, I'm going on and on because of all the things I fired zeros off on back when I started this. But eventually, it, it it got to a point where I was holding so well and my brain got accustomed to the fact my pin is going to move. I'm looking more or less through my pin into what I aim at and just get used to that pin floating and just keep looking. And it goes off. And one of the reasons guys like you and I can shoot long distance so well, our brain is out of the equation because we know the pin movement is there. I'm kind of rambling on here thinking back I, of all the I crap think I, def- I, mo- I learned that last season because I asked you, I was like, dude, what do you do about your pin moving so much? And you're like, it's going to move. And I always, he shoots so good. I always thought he was just holding it. And it was it wasn't moving hardly at all. And he's like, dude, it, it moves a lot. You just gotta take that part out of your out of your brain. And when I got that concept, I, I think I started shooting a little bit better. But as you as you kind of connect because it's both, I think, too, right? It 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 moves, but once you've learned how to and again, it, it I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because it's so much of what we want to focus on with our coaching, it's kind of that first, second, and third kind of tier before you really start refining your game because as you when I say refining your game that's when you want to try to make your pin float smaller right so you're looking at things like let off draw length stabilizer balance all those things to where there's going to be movement but when you watch a target shoot like a high high end target shooter and 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 I was lucky enough to get my butt kicked by a few of them for a while on on when I was shooting ASAs but you you stand behind them and watch through their sight as they're aiming and it's hardly moving it's still moving but it's hardly moving and and when you when you can comprehend that you know the eighty five and ninety five ninety percent let off that's garbage from an accuracy standpoint it's 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 the it's the death of accuracy because 
what happens is when you have too much let off, you don't have a consistency, you have too big of a valley, you have an empty float, right? Your pins just look, there's no rhyme or reason as to the movement. So what do hunters do? They start using a, a stabilizer setup to try to mask it or reduce it. And you're going to reduce it some, but when you start taking and, and putting it back to an 80% let off or 75% let off, you basically have a shorter valley, you're forced to stay engaged, push pull into the target. And what that does is it makes the pin movement almost smaller and it may be a little bit choppier, but at the end of the day, your pin movement is smaller. And that's where, like I said, when I, I see these bows that come out 85, 90% and I'm like, holy smokes, it's a tuning problem. It's an accuracy problem. Can you hold your bow back for two minutes? Great. But if you can't hit with the piss you're aiming at, once you do get a shot, what does it matter? So that's, that's, that's a marketing tactic that I really don't like. Yeah, and I would say the best I probably shot when I was shooting competitions was sixty five percent let off with, um, you know, from my ho- my holding weight or whatever. And that's not, I won't go into this, and you'll probably talk about that eventually. Everybody's going to probably have a happy home for a holding weight. Now that could be eighty percent let off at really high pounds, or it could be uh, lower let off at sixty eight pounds. Right. Uh, you know, for me, like indoors or field shoots, it was in the uh, mid like sixty six pounds at sixty five percent let off. Um, but my holding weight isn't any different with a hunting bow. It's just higher poundage, higher right. let off. Um, but that's the best I had shot. Um, and like you talked about that true ten, you know, having that tension on it all the time. You're up against that wall um, with force, so you're not moving around. And if you, you know, you think about it. Um, People, some of this stuff I think is skipped because of technology. We're back in the day, like Hoyt command cams, those big, you, you know what? I, the technology wasn't there to even think about 85, 90% let off. You had what you had. And so you were forced to, um, you, when I say forced, you weren't, uh, you didn't have the option of someone to walk in and say, I need 85% let off. They only had 65. Right. And so your issues were a lot simpler. And it, it is a pain to tune, in my experience, a, a higher let off bow is extremely hard to tune. Um, and it's extremely hard to get. You could have the same shooter shoot four different let offs bows. He's not going to shoot the higher let off better. Right. Um, he may not know that. And so he may wonder why he's bouncing around all over. Well, like you said, it's it's the bow. It's the let off on the bow. So some of the other stuff that's come out that, you know, the carbon bows are good. I shot one. You shot. You still do shoot yeah. a carbon one. I end up loading up with so much weight on it. It's kind of inconsequential. But uh, you don't, uh, you know, you don't really have um, – if you're not going to shoot very far, it probably doesn't matter. But if you're going to extend your range out, I think it – back when I was shooting tournaments with you, it was like 30 um, – I had like a 30-inch long stabilizer V-bars. I don't think it did shit for leveling out the bow so much as it did just total mass weight of the bow. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean – No, and I'm with – because, I mean, yeah, I've I, I been shooting the Hoyt, Hoyt bows for the last three years again, I think, three or four years, and – I've I've got usually get a carbon set up and an aluminum and it always seems like I can shoot the aluminum better because of my target days of shooting a heavier bow, it, it holds steadier for me. The, this new system that Hoyt's got, the the carbon series, I I, I prefer a longer axle axle, so I, I'm kind of playing with an ultra right now. And so that to me is is uh, it, there's a trade offs for everything, and that's the thing with archery, right? You you're gonna give something to get something, and in in this current system, I like the longer axle axle bow. The carbon bow, the, the benefit of a carbon is you can put the weight where you want it to help you balance it. But at the same time, I tell you, when I shot the 85% modules on that, that those cams, I didn't like it. 
I just, I was, I couldn't, I didn't like it. I put the 80% on and it's better. And that's like you, I, I had to shoot almost 80 pounds last year to get the holding weight that I wanted for stability. So I've got a 70 pound bow and I've got an 80 pound bow ordered this year for the same reason. For when it comes to true accuracy for everything from, from your, and, and I'm going to kind of throw a little uh, shameless plug out there, but when we, the system that we're building within the the alpha platform is understanding your your effective range, breaking it into thirds and understanding each cluster. And when you're talking about your furthest third, your longer range shot scenarios, I want accuracy is everything, right? Understanding how your energy carries out there is is second tier to that. And so from that standpoint, yeah, I'm gonna my holding weight needs to be a, to a certain spot. My axle to axle length for a plat, steady platform to shoot off of, I like that longer axle to axle. And uh, but that's it. But that's where so much of what we're trying to do is is fill that middle gap because you can go buy a bow anywhere. You can get a bow from your buddy, your 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 uncle, your dad. You can go buy them from the box store, pro shop, and then you go out and shoot. And then the bad habits start to form, right? And and not not only the bad habits, but the lack of direction for when you walk out in the field, because you can hit a paper plate at sixty yards. You think that that's where you should be. Yeah, that's my effective range. Well. Let, let me show you why it's not, and let me teach you how to d- get to that point. Because there's a system in place where you can figure that out, and it's using math, it's using existing data that's out there, and it's uh, it's just people don't know how to connect the dots. Yeah, no, and that, I mean that makes perfect sense. And as many people as we all, you know, hunt with, you definitely, you know, you see it, right? You yeah. see, you see the guy that can hit foam at eighty and can't hit a, an animal at forty or right. wh- whatever. Um, you know, there's also, which I know you go into animal behavior, you've 100%. talked about, you know, and that's, there's shots I've taken that are farther than, than I would be considered ethical, but I hit them. Um, and I don't mean hit them, I killed them. Uh, and there's shots I've not taken pretty freaking close that I wouldn't have hit them or I would have, you know, they would have moved, right? There's certain times where there's certain animal behavior where you, 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 you know, one shooter might be 40, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part. But if that once you learn animal behavior, he may be able to squeak out a few more yards if he knows that animal's not going to move. He feels confident. You know, some guys just it's hard to shoot with both hands around your throat. Some guys are choke artists and it it just happens. And, um, you know, I think, though, with time and programs like yours, they can get better. But but that's so exactly what you said there. Right. Because there's that. There's that moment in time that is we call the moment in truth, right, where people get derailed from their focus, from their structure, from whatever they do. So if we can tell you, look, what's going to keep you on track is is a, a system and a structure and focus so that way you can forget about that, oh, my God, look how big he is, right? Oh, shit, look at the size of this rack. Is he? I mean, is he really coming in? All those things that start to derail you, if you have a system in place that, A, starts with distance, obviously everybody's effective range should start with distance, B, uh, animal behavior, eyes, ears, body positioning, right? Look at what's going on and see, understand where the where the situation falls within your your thirds. Then you have a, a if you walk through this quick process, you have two or three check check marks. It's a yes or it's a no on the shot opportunity. And and let me show you that you don't have to decide that for yourself in the field. This is predetermined data that you're walking into the field with. Guarantee you're going to have more confidence when you walk in the field. Because I tell you that it, it's funny. I, I I sent out an email to like 75 customers on my email list, randomly pick 75 customers, send it out. I said, look, I've got the second booklet that I'm writing on, that I'm writing, and I want to have a Q&A section at the back of the book that's more pertinent to, you know, other topics. What are the top two or three topics that you'd like to see covered more or that you're having issues with? Well, the first thing that I realized is the the title of the book that I, I had, would plan to title it, 
um, wasn't the right title because almost a, th- a little more than a third of the, the responses that came back were exactly on what the book was written on, what it's going to be written on. And the second thing was um, was the you know some of the disconnects that people have in 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 what's going on, and and then tuning is obviously an issue, and some other things came up, but. It's funny, man. I mean, it's just that disconnect and it's that not knowing how to get past that disconnect because there's some there's some people that can shoot great. There's some people that can, you know, they can stalk great. There's some people that are they can do a lot of it. But once they get to that moment in time where they have to decide to to shoot or don't shoot, they need help. They, they need they need direction. They need they need structure. Yeah. No. And I mean, I as many people, you know, like I said, hunt with, you you get to see that, you know, firsthand and, and things. And I talked to several people this year about it. Uh, Brian Broderick being one of them of maybe, maybe <laughs> that I shouldn't talk about shooting far ever and that people get the wrong. Uh, I think the problem was I was hunting too many, uh, there again, as this will sound, I was hunting with too many killers, right? Like guys that just, didn't didn't miss or to, or or kill the animal, um, and you kind of take that for granted, and you maybe forget about guys that are just getting into it or haven't don't have maybe quite as much ice in their veins. They see what you're doing, and then they perceive it to be true for everyone. That okay, you and I and Frank are shooting at eighty, and we're keeping it in a paper plate consistently. We walk off, they walk over there, they put it in a paper plate. Then they hear what we've done and then they think they can do it. Never have shot at an animal. And then they have shit running down both legs and they're panicking and then they wing it in the leg. Yeah. Um, they didn't get a chance to talk to us to hear that 20-year story of how we got there or whatever. Um, they just see that that shot. So I've definitely learned quite a bit this year of um, you know, trying to calm it down when I when I talk to guys. And rather than focusing on, you know, when they ask me a question, uh, one side of it maybe focus more on, hey, how long have you been hunting? Hey, how long, you know, kind of get a background and then say, you know, man, I'd stay within 50. Stay within 50 till you feel comfortable with that and then maybe bounce it back rather than skip all that shit and just like, oh, yeah, man, you shoot at 80. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's cool. Oh, here's the air weight I shoot, like almost encouraging it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, coming from a guy's shooting a whopping 181 feet per second with my current bow. So um, I'm going to have to keep it close. But the uh, I mean, Frank, you you right now, like when you started, that was another thing I probably ingrained in your brain or whatever was a little bit heavier arrow, a little bit heavier point weight. Mm-hmm. That's another thing we've all went through was, you know, sh- shooting a smoking fast, screaming loud bow with very little momentum. That's another thing I see a lot of guys do. I mean, nothing better than walking into a Cabela's and having a, I mean, nothing wrong with 19 year old kids. Cause I was 19 that telling me what broadhead I need to shoot and 380 grains is plenty who hasn't applied all that. Um, you get a lot of that stuff too. I see from forums and online and, um, where maybe guys don't have as much back history of the potential problems with a light arrow. Um, you know, that or a mechanical with a light arrow where maybe they should shoot a fixed blade. Uh, and those are all things that obviously you're going to be able to cover and teach people. So. Yeah. And this so, I mean, we're we're offering a full day workshop in March um, and it's going to go. I mean, we're going to take each person and we're going to plug them into the system to where they're going to we're going to walk them through the process of arrow weight, speed, energy, understanding how the energy carries a distance, sighting in 
walking them through the system and and giving them some structure to actually be able to practice, learn how to improve. And once you have once you have consistency and structure, now when you have a, a topic on a podcast, right? You bring somebody on that says, "Hey, this this arrow or this broadhead combination is the kitties, you know, it's this it's the stuff." And and you say, "Okay, but is is my shooting in my system good enough so I can know when it's going to show me improvement. Yeah. Well, that's where a lot of people are just spot trying to fix spot issues and they're not looking at the from the the ground up. They don't even know how to what they, you know when you talk about a shot routine, the very basis and the introductory level of what archery is is understanding a shot routine, which nobody teaches, you know. And and that's where uh, the first two courses that we've got we're focusing on and a lot of the stuff in the workshop and the shop is just getting back to basics, man. Understand a shot routine. Understand how important that is because, like you said, you know how to f- you know how you fixed your issue. And I'm just going to say that I've learned because I've studied the way to articulate to try to teach people how to fix their issue. And and I still go to seminars. Man, we were at ATA and I was at R- George Rouse. Actually, I sat in on uh, – um, Joel Turner seminar, yeah, you know, and super smart guy. I, I totally respect what he's saying. I think he's saying, like you said, he's he's kind of a mental doctor, yeah. And and George Riles is is a great target level, you know, guy as well. And I'm just trying to find kind of the, my mold in between of taking some mental and some some technical and meshing it together and trying to apply to the the middle the middle ground of bow hunters because not everybody's, you know, you. Not not everybody's to the to the standpoint where you walk in the field and you don't need to you don't need but a split second to tell yourself whether you're going to shoot at an animal or not. You, you distant all things aside, right? So we just want to be able to teach people how to get to that point. Yeah, no, I think it's good, and uh, we're gonna if you have time, we're gonna try and knock out one more podcast after this one that'll have a lot more scenarios and funny stories of yeah for sh- sure shit that happens on the side of the mountain because the one thing you know I've also learned when you start. Because fitness takes a beating nowadays because it's gotten so commercialized, I guess. it's uh, The Insta-Google tweet face selfie thing has kind of got so bad to where it's like, you know, a lot of guys will be anti-fitness. But I think fitness, you know, gear, shooting, form, like everything total package-wise is important. Um, another thing that, I you know, bringing up fitness is I don't think people realize if you're going to be a mountain hunter or or mountain hunting um, – is also your heart rate. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, in my case, you know, there's one specific buck I missed that would have been probably called the Snyder buck. And it was a little bit of the 12,000 foot thing, a little bit of the running thing to get caught up, a little bit of shit in my pants because it was a typical 210. Um, and that I took a shot that I felt comfortable with. Now, I don't think I missed because of my heart rate. I was able to get a hold of it. But when I first drew back, I was bouncing a foot above and a foot below that from mm-hmm. my heart rate. You know, having that not had all those things come into play, and a lot of people don't take that into consideration. And most people, once they draw, they're not letting back down. Right. They're going to let her buck. Um, and what they're going to do is the pin's going to wind in circles and do the figure eight, and they're just going to hammer the shit out of that trigger, heart rate or not. Um, and I think that, you know, ca- taking that into consideration too, one, getting more, you know, fitness, like getting more fit, uh, but, you know, two, also learning to, kind of adapt that into your, um, you know, as time goes on into your, not your shot sequence, but your decision-making processes. Are you shitting your pants, right? <laughs> Are you crapping like, like totally out of control, can't breathe with an animal coming? 
Can you control that? Right. Has your effective distance gone from 50 to 20? Right. Because of that, that's another thing for me. I got a pretty good idea when I can let her rip or not and at what distance from, sh- you know, shooting so much. But I've I've seen, um, I mean, this year I saw it firsthand. Um, I mean, three foot miss at 80 and, and even about the same, even closer. And it was adrenaline. It was your heart rate, wind, all of those things coming into play. And I, I'll be the first one to say I'm the asshole saying, shoot, man, shoot. You got it because I know I could have hit it bad. Not the right thing to do. Right. Like totally not the right thing to do. Nothing wrong with the guy behind the bow. I was not setting the right example because I'm thinking, get it on, shoot, shoot, just get an arrow, shoot, shoot. I mean, probably not the smartest thing in the world to do because all of those variables were there. Um, so, and those are all things that I think a lot of people don't even consider until it's happened. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to think about. But uh, we'll do another one here. But uh, tell us where everybody can find you. This, this whole. Um, uh, process you have going on. Let everybody know where they can take a look yeah, at that. So, so alphabowhunting.com, obviously we run the tournament series and that's, we've got some big stuff coming up this year within that. But on the Alpha Bow Hunting page, we have our coaching section. It's a coaching tab and uh, our all day seminar workshop is on there. Uh, there's a link for the introductory online courses on there. If you want to come do something in-house, we do I think there's six or seven different workshops we're offering at No Limits Archery, and that's under the nolimitsarchery.com page. So we're going to try to consolidate things where people can go to one spot, but that's always a, a web issue, right, with trying to figure out how to how to simplify and make things efficient. But, yeah, alphabowhunting.com or nolimitsarchery.com. Alphabowhunting is going to be more focused on the online um, the online section, and, and yeah, No Limits Archery is in-house. Gotcha. And then what, um, as far as like, uh, just so the no limits archery, just, I brag about it all the time that that you got a hundred yard outdoor course, you got a 3d course. Tell everybody a little bit about that too, because it's the largest range that I know of in the Western United States. Yeah, we've got, um, so we're just under 20,000 square feet indoor. We've got 42, 43 lanes, um, the most of them are 20 yards, but we've got some 30 and 40 yard indoor lanes and we've got a dart system on our second floor. Our se- part, the rest of our second floor is getting uh, a facelift that's really just going to be catered towards these workshops and seminars as we start growing into that more. I mean, you know, we did that seminar in December and, and we did it upstairs and it was it was raw, but it were, it's, it's really starting to come together up there. Um, and then our outdoor range, I mean, we've got a... Uh, hundred yard sight in range, hundred. It's going to be hundred plus, hundred ten this year, and then we're going to have a feta, a feta bailed where you're going to be able to come out and shoot fifty seven meters, whatever you want to shoot if you like that that style of shooting, and then a twenty target three D course so you can come walk around shoot, you know, targets up to fifty yards or so. I'm going to have to do that with the struggle stick this year. <laughs> have to practice a bit. <laughs> I told Frank. Well, I told you on the phone. I was like, Frank, it'll be cause Frank and I are hunting pretty much. All, all year, unless Frank shoots me. Um, and I was like, Frank, it'll be like if we're going to the bar and I'm the hard up dude. Frank will be like, okay, I'm going to take that hot blonde. And I'm Taking like, I'm going to take whatever I can get. All right. I'll take whatever. Because, uh, I mean, it's not that bad with the, the recurve, but definitely you're hunting the shot more than you're hunting the animal because there's certain shots that you're going to be able to take and, and stocks you're going to make and other ones you're not. So it'll be... Be an interesting season. See no, how it goes. That sounds like fun, man. Because, like you know, it's it's the <laughs> the the moments we have in between the stocks and the hunts and the sitting at camp, busting on each other's chops and laughing about mishap mishaps. It's uh, 
that's kind of that's what ties it all together. Yeah, for sure. So, well, yeah. Well, man, thanks for coming on. Let's hit round two here. We'll do another one after this. But everybody, thanks for listening. I can't say enough of how great of a resource Phil is. Everything he offers at No Limits and Alpha Bow Hunting, and uh, and him and I'm overpowered right now. Um, any side jokes that go on, I get <laughs> I get made fun of because I'm the white dude. So we are equal opportunity here on Kafaru Cast. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for tuning in, everybody.